0: Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I love the artwork of Palm Sunday, which we tried to bring forward a little bit just to allow images to share sort of all the different ways that we think about and interpret this story, which for me remains still shrouded in so much mystery. What is happening when Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem and how in the world did it happen that all of a sudden people yelling, screaming, branches, clothes on the ground? It really is a remarkable, chaotic scene in all of the best ways And it still piques our wonder after so many years. But before we unpack a little bit of that... As I was preparing for this week, I was doing a little what is often called doom scrolling, which isn't actually looking for doom. I was just on my phone. I had been working a lot. I just needed to take a breather. And so I get on Twitter, and I'm just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling just to see what's going on. I mean, we are in the midst of the NCAA tournament, so I wanted to see who was winning and who was losing. Um, As usual, West Virginia blows it when when they could possibly be winning, just seeing what's going on with my friends. And I ended up, and this is the problem with doom scrolling, of course is that we, it, it's not the scrolling itself, it's that it ends up sending us down some kind of a rabbit hole. And boy, did I get down a rabbit hole this week. I ominously clicked on this link that was entitled, Songs Every Kid at Youth Group Had Memorized in the 90s. Now, well, some of you are going, the 90s, that wasn't that long ago. I still don't think it was that long ago either, but that's when I was in youth group. Songs Every Kid at Youth Group Had Memorized. So I'm like, well, I got to see this. So I click on it. And it sent me into a world I have not been in in 20 years. See, you need to, what, one of the things you need to know about me is that I grew up in a religious system that strongly discouraged whatever it is that we call secular music in favor of contemporary Christian music. And so to go back and to think about these songs that we had memorized in youth group wasn't just a sort of a cute and fun reminder of church. It really was the music of my youth. And I'd entertain you with a sampling and I would sing you some of my favorite songs, but one of the things that I've learned as I've moved from um, more evangelical systems into more mainline systems is not everybody grew up with the same music that I did, and so you're not getting a sampling today. But suffice it to say, for two days straight, I did nothing but listen nonstop to bands like the Newsboys and Audio Adrenaline and the OC Supertones and on and on. And if you're going, who are they?, jump on Spotify, check it out. And for me, it was so much fun to go back into some of the lyrics that I remembered. For instance, one of my favorite songs from a band called Audio Adrenaline was called Hands and Feet. And I remember, and for the life of me, I don't know why this memory is burned into my mind, but it is. I remember I was playing high school for, I was playing baseball for Westminster High And I must have had my, like, CD Walkman thing, like, back when that was a thing. I must have had it on, and I was sitting on the back of the bus, and I was listening to this song called Hands and Feet. And the lyrics go, I want to be your hands, I want to be your feet. I'll go where you send me, I'll go where you send me. And for me, like, in that moment, I was like, man... God has blessed me. I'm on the baseball team. I'm starting today in center field. Like, I was just fired up. I remember sitting in the back of the bus just being like, I'm going to play baseball for Jesus. And so it took me to all these places, all these memories. And then I put this conversation up on Twitter. I was like, hey, what are your some favorite, what are your, excuse me, what are some of your favorite underrated contemporary Christian songs? And my Twitter for a change blew up with folks just remembering. It's funny how old songs stay with you. And every time somebody posted a new song, it sent me back down the rabbit hole to go listen to that and to put another smile on my face. What was different, though, about this for me is how I heard them so differently after about 20 to 25 years. One song took me in two very different directions in two very different stages of my life. As a kid... When I heard that song, Hands and Feet, I usually imagined images of poor African and Central American kids. You know, it was usually attached to some missionary video. where We have to go to the world and be God's hands and be God's feet and fix all the problems. The message was always that the gospel was needed out there. But as I heard these words in 2021, in in pandemic world, In the world that we find ourselves, which is vastly different than 25 years ago, it was quite another thing. I want to be your hands, I want to be your feet in 2021 feels a lot more like social distancing and masks and Facebook Live and Zoom. To be God's hands and feet in 2021 feels a lot more Less, it feels a lot less of the triumphalism of going into the world and telling everybody how to be, and it felt more to me like mourning the ugliness of racism, bigotry, misogyny, on and on and on, not to mention the fact that in this week alone we've had three mass shootings. Same exact song, song two completely different sets of ears. Because meanings change, meanings evolve, we change and evolve. And these words that we come to rely on wherever we find them, they develop to meet us in the moment in which we find ourselves. That's that's the mystery and the beauty of music. It meets us where we're at as we are and speaks to us in new words always. That's exactly the issue unfolding on Palm Sunday. It's precisely the issue. The same words, but they're being asked to be heard in a different way. As Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the entire city is preparing for Passover, much as our Jewish brothers and sisters are doing right now, preparing for Passover, which of course is the story of the nation's liberation from captivity in Egypt, finding their way to freedom through the Red Sea. We've been reading this story on daily prayer. It comes at an apropos time. We're very familiar with that story, but the Exodus was not the only time that Israel needed liberation from slavery and from exile. Passover also serves as a celebration of something that we read in the Apocrypha, the books that don't generally find their way into Christian Bibles, but are still really, really instructive as to the Israelite people and their experiences. It's a celebration of the Maccabean Revolt. Around 16, uh, excuse me, around 160 BC, a little thing called the Seleucid Empire headed by this horrible, horrible king named Antiochus Epiphanes began this unbearable persecution against the Jews. Again, about 160 years before Jesus. And Antiochus Epiphanes' rule culminates in the sacrifice of a pig upon the altar of the Holy of Holies. There was no greater desecration of Israel's holy spaces than that. But there arose a great priest named Judas Maccabeus who led a long and, yes, bloody revolt, ultimately culminating in the re sanctification and the rededication of the temple. And they celebrated that day, wouldn't you know it, with the waming of palm branches as the people cried, Hosanna, as there was a procession in the temple to reconsecrate it. They had been occupied, they had been oppressed, and this was about liberation why does any of this matter? It's not simply a memory for them. Again, this is only 160 years ago. It's approximately the distance from where we stand to the civil war. And what's important is that Israel is again an occupied people. Another great dynasty now applies powerful and painful rule on these people. The new guy in town is the empire of Rome. And so when Jesus arrives, the people are primed for liberation. They are yearning for somebody to come and to set them free. They're hoping that somebody will reconsecrate and re-sanctify the entire people. Just like Judas. They're looking for a Savior who will deliver them. And isn't that the way of us, all of us? When we are powerless, when we are feeling oppressed, when we are feeling pressed down, We expect that God, who we presume and we believe is all-powerful, will use that power, smite our enemies, bring us back to a place of prominence and reconsecrate everything so that everything can go back to the way it was. Jesus knows this, and so Jesus sings the song. The song, as I've often said, is the tune of Donkey. It's a clear symbol to everybody about what Jesus' intentions are. A donkey, we often talk about, it's not a war horse, so Jesus is doing this poor kind of thing going on, and it's very different than a war horse. No, no, no. A donkey was not a twist on the king's mode of transportation. Throughout the Old Testament and throughout the ancient Near East literature, the donkey was the sign of a king. We read in Zechariah, it says, your king comes to you riding on a colt. You know why the donkey is a sign of a king? Because a really powerful king has no need of extra muscle. A really powerful king has no need of war horses because they're in control. War horses, power, might, displays of power speak not to somebody in power, but rather speak to an insecure and weak person. The person who can ride on a donkey knows exactly what's up and is very comfortable and very confident. That's Jesus. This Palm Sunday procession is Jesus unmistakably communicating the great revelation of Jesus' power and authority. Jesus knows he's a king, and the people hear this song as a king. Here he comes, just like Judas Maccabeus had done so long ago. This is the master who will deliver us. And indeed, the prophet says that when the master comes, you'll no longer have need of swords and spears. That's how powerful he is. In fact, swords and spears are going to be so useless that you might as well turn them into plows and tools for pruning. You won't have to worry anymore. Just get back back to the peaceful work of growing food and living in God's good creation because the king is going to take care of it. His reign will not be one where the tools of power, violence, and destruction are simply reappropriated for God's kingdom. No, no, no. The kingdom that Jesus seeks to bring isn't a regime change. It's an entirely new way of doing power, completely different than every other kingdom that has ever come before it because it's based not upon power and authority, it's based in peace. So in this inaugural event of Holy Week, Jesus announces without question, without equivocation that he is a king. This is not a mistake. Jesus is not looking around going, where did all these people come from? Jesus knew exactly what was happening. And he steps into the the stories of the Exodus and he steps into the story of Judas Maccabeus and he says, I am the one you have been waiting for. And in this way, he is undeniably and unequivocally set up as an alternate to the kingdom that is currently in power, the kingdom populated and ruled by Herod and Pilate and religious elites, the one that is fueled by power. The entire premise, then, of Holy Week is about kingdom. The tune that Jesus is playing is one of peace. And Holy Week, as we walk through it, will show us just how unprepared we are for such a world. We'll hear on Thursday, Maundy Thursday, That the currency in the kingdom, the economy of the kingdom, is a meal with no head of table, no servant or master, just mutual care of one another. That's the economy. We'll hear on Friday, as Jesus is crucified, we'll hear the kings who are in power will not suffer challenges to their thrones and in fact will resort to unimaginable violence to rid themselves of their competitors but nevertheless even as he is humiliated jesus is crowned with the declaration jesus of nazareth king of the jews they hung it right above his head but through all of this the question for us is does this countercultural kingdom have staying power is it possible that this is real power Before we answer that question, let us remember that the people who were there, the people who had cheered Jesus, were given such a choice. When they stood Jesus up on one hand of Pilate, the one who came to bring a kingdom of peace, and they stood Barabbas up on the other side, the one who was a zealot, the one who had participated in an insurrection, the one who had been in prison and was set to put to death, and they're like, who do you want to let go? Well, it was Barabbas. They'd rather have an insurrectionist than a king of peace. Does this countercultural kingdom have staying power and do we believe it? Well, we'll wait for Sunday for that. The question before us this week, friends, is not whether we believe he is a king or not. Jesus is clear about that. He is a king. The question is whether we want this kind of king. Are we saved by powers and principalities? Are we saved by might? Are we saved by wealth? Are we saved by the things that look and smell a little bit like Rome? Or are we saved by the one who, as we'll read in a minute, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Is there hope? Hard tempered, enduring hope that salvation might actually come through the humble way of the peasant king? Or are we more likely to throw in our hat with powers and principalities? Throughout this week, this will be the choice that is laid before us. We will see both kingdoms make their case. Which tune, which song causes us to dance? Our answers to that are what will or will not make this week holy.